So tonight I would like to continue with the third of a series of three talks, um, the last Fridays, uh, on the three characteristics of experience. And probably all of you are, you weren't here <clears throat> last week and the week before, you're probably familiar with these teachings and have heard them many times and practiced with them. And in a situation like this where maybe it's like this on every retreat, you know, you are in your own process to some degree. You know, there's a, an unfolding or a, a thread that you're following or a, you know, particular series of experiments that you're conducting or a particular prayer that you're praying or a particular dance that you're dancing and different images maybe of how practice maybe we might see it and so as I said yesterday and I often say I really invite you to listen in that what I, I often yeah call kind of open grounded way where you really allow the words to rise and pass you know, seeing, you know, again, maybe a particular word or image or a teaching that resonates. There might just be one little piece to take away, or, or maybe none. Maybe just, again, grounding in our own experience and a receptivity with perhaps the sound of my voice as the anchor. So, really, yeah. For you to engage with in as you wish. So um, I'd like to begin by sharing the Buddha's teaching, or one of the Buddha's teachings on this, um, on these themes, which I I've shared the last two times. So I want to share it again, but I'm going to continue and share the whole of this section of the sutta, which is in the, this wonderful anthology, the Buddha's words that we have in the library. It's the blue one. Um, in the section on wisdom. Um, so you can... Yeah, Bhikkhu Bodhi's wonderful collection of excerpts from the suttas, the early discourses on di- under different themes. If you don't know it, it's... a if you're like me and you like looking things up in the index and then like going through the whole book and like saying, what does it say about <laughs> anatta, which is tonight's theme. It's a really wonderful resource. So here is from the Buddha. And I'm going to change a few of the words in the service of inclusivity. Practitioners, form is impermanent. What is impermanent is suffering. What is suffering is non-self. What is non-self should be seen as it really is with correct wisdom. Thus, this is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. When one sees thus, as it really is, with correct wisdom, the mind becomes dispassionate. 
and is liberated from the taints by non-clinging. Feeling is impermanent. Perception is impermanent. Volitional formations are impermanent. Consciousness is impermanent. What is impermanent is suffering. What is suffering is non-self. What is non-self should be seen as it really is, with correct wisdom thus. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. When one sees thus as it really is, with correct wisdom, the mind becomes dispassionate and is liberated from the taints by non-clinging. Didn't quite bring the whole library in with me, just part of it. Um, so, maybe again this evening, um, I, I want to um, mostly focus on the third characteristic, the anatta, the uh, non-self characteristic. Um, first of all I'd again like to touch on the definition of insight from Rob Babea his book Seeing That Frees to remind some of us but just to orient to what we're what we're exploring here so insight is any realisation understanding or way of seeing that brings to any degree a dissolution of or decrease in dukkha. So, realization or understanding or way of seeing. So that's what we'll be exploring a bit this evening. And the sense of, in this teaching, in this Frame that the, the reference point is always dukkha, translated there by Bhikkhu Bodhi as suffering, but we talked about this last week, um, or I talked, you listened, anyway. Um, <laughs> it's the royal academic we, or something. Um, that I offered two different senses or aspects of, of dukkha is as having a yeah a broad range of meanings sort of aspects um, one being the unsatisfactoriness of, of, of conditioned phenomena so that sort of getting close to that sense of, of the you know that the, 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 the experience cannot offer us any kind of lasting security or happiness um, partly because it, it's impermanent. So, again, that's this sense of the impermanence, the fleeting nature of things, 
making it not possible for sights and sounds and smells and touches and mental stuff to provide what we we want from them. <laughs> we want from them what they cannot provide. Yeah. So seeing that, that's freeing us from some of that clinging and craving. So that it, that, that brings to any degree a dissolution or decrease in, in dukkha. And the other aspect of that that I highlighted last week was this sense of the, the hot, the hot, the fiery end of dukkha as the result of craving. So this kind of, yeah, wanting or dissonance or contention or just don't, you know, either very subtly or in a very obvious way, just not being able, not being in harmony with the way things are. And, yeah. So, Rob also goes on to emphasize a couple of things. One is that insight to understand it not as a state to be attained. Or this, it's very, there are states that can be you know, attained and Buddha talks about that. But actually, this sense of insight being an understanding that can't be can't be held on to. This is this is a very, I mean, very interesting reflection, and it's 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 not a thing which we we tend to to make everything into a thing. So it can manifest in a wide, wide range of ways. And, and maybe through focusing on these three characteristics, you know, we want to keep that sense of... And, you know, you all know this, and I hear it in the, in the conversations, you know, the different kinds of insight different in different areas of experience and just, you know, the, the depth and breadth of that. And the, and the, and the particular sense of of insight being at the same at the same time universal and personal no or, or universal and very very specific it's like i once can't remember what who exactly said this like liberation is accurate yeah it's it's like it's those shifts those realizations are they they are very intimately related to our our actual experience, isn't it? And, and this is where we, you know, this is part of the way I understand our journeys in a way is to allow our actual our actual experience to be the revealing arena, right? That's I think the tendency can so easily be to um, just hold on to the ideas and the concepts, and like if I keep thinking about this enough, <laughs> but that actually it's it's this direct perception, it's seeing it in our experience, and this quality of any way of seeing that eases dukkha. To a, to a small or a great degree, 
And um, I think part of what's been interesting to me in reflecting on these themes the last three weeks is realizing there are so many ways of, of seeing or relating to our experience that that eases eases things, eases dukkha. You know, like, well, I mean, metta, the sense of what, what difference kindness makes. And, you know, when you're not, again, as an idea, when you really feel it, connect with it, it's kind of there, like how from another person or just finding that. Or gratitude. Right. What shifts when we are oh, seeing the goodness? Yeah, it's a way of seeing, isn't it? It's 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 very interesting to yeah, and 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 so. guess that would be a whole other a whole other talk when I keep having these I don't know if they're entirely random but things that I was remembering a teaching from Joseph where I think this is right he suggested you could imagine your thought the thoughts that you're noticing are coming from someone else <laughs> I mean, maybe that's that might be a helpful way of looking, a helpful way of seeing it. It could be unhelpful. You know, it might freak you out a bit. I think, like, ah, you know, they're all they're all crazy. I'm all right. <laughs> what are you all doing? Thinking all that weird stuff. Yeah. So that points to something. I think really, really important. I know Dharma teachers always terribly. N- one of our bad habits, I think, is to overemphasize everything. So this is really important. That's really important. This is crucial. Now, this is really important. <laughs> so yeah, you stop doing that. Um, it's all important. Um, yeah, that we're, we're in the realm of skillful means rather than... Um, You know, this is the right way to do it. and Or, you know, trying it and finding out what, what are helpful ways for you to, to see things, to understand what lenses to look through that actually do really make a difference, either in the moment or over time. You know, I can, any of you have that, you look, you, look you look at your life through the poor me lens. Oh dear. When you look at it through the lucky me lens. Which is true. Huh? Both, neither, one, the other. So part of the freedom, I think, in this exploring these reflections and these pra- and this this practice is, is, oh, you know how experience changes, how dukkha changes, depending on 
how I'm relating to, how I'm how I'm seeing something, you know. Just yeah. So um yeah, so that's the that's our ballpark. Any kind of seeing, way of seeing, understanding or realisation that brings to some degree a dissolution of or decrease in dukkha. I sometimes talk about how how for me there's dukkha in, you know, giving talks. It's like ah you know. And as so it's part of my ongoing practice just to sort of play try and play with that and and and, and bring intentionally different sort of thoughts and ways of of seeing that to kind of to reduce the dukkha work in progress so um, I just want to I hope this is going to flow together there's just a few different points I'd like to make so some of them may feel more relevant for you but one thing, one way that comes up in the texts and I think is, is sometimes for some people a very helpful way of uh, bringing this uh, aspect, you know, of, of experience to light is to actually notice the senses of self, the rising through the day, rising and passing. Some people really, you know, and again... I think for some people at Nietzsche, impermanence is more easy and obvious and kind of they gravitate to that. Some people maybe more the dukkha aspect and and some people the anatta. So this sense of, as a, as a possible practice, or I guess it's, again, I, I hear it a lot where, you know, people reporting the activity of, of um, what's sometimes called was it meing, eyeing, and myeing? Right. So I think this is very helpful to see that the anatta, this this teaching of not not me, not mine, not myself, is is a corrective, a kind of mm, trying to direct us towards the kind of alternative to our probably pretty pervasive, pretty habitual, pretty much all the time. <laughs> sort of mode of operation right which is this meing, myeing and eyeing I mean to me this is extraordinary whenever I, I, I you know sort of really contemplate it's like oh my god this is so embarrassing it's happening all the blooming time no, it's like it's hardly a break <laughs> you know so a me that is, that is trying to do something or feels it's having done something done to it. So there's an activity, isn't there? But there's also some sort of there's something solid-ish. There's something posited that's then doing the doing. Um, and of course, one of the practices. Oh, I have this great list of practices. I'm going to put it on the board for you. Feel free to ignore it completely. <laughs> but um, if you want to have a look. You know, this, I did this on one retreat once with a teacher who encouraged us to, to do this inquiry of, of who, who, who am I? You know, personally, I didn't find that particularly helpful. What I've found more helpful is what, what, is, what am I doing 
What is I doing? How is it ing? You know, it's this, it's an activity. It's, it's something happening. It's not a thing. And to me, that's always like talking about ego or self. I'm like, hmm. I don't, I don't find any, I don't find it at all in my experience. What I do find is, you know, so myeing, owning, 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 owning. Me, it's mine, it's mine, this is mine. This is my footstep, this is my breath. This is, this is my experience of this talk. <laughs> I mean, again, a lot of it's going on unconsciously. And, and also at times on retreat and maybe other times when the mind really is quietening, you get this sense of, you've probably all had this experience at times of everything's happening on its own. Wow. That feels good. <laughs> you know, and then whatever happens, somebody upsets you or you drop something, or, you know, and there it is, you know, getting up on its hind legs again and pawing the air, you know, or cowering in a corner. Or, yeah, so the owning, positing a me that acts or is acted upon, a sense of owning. Yeah, a friend of mine teaches us sometimes she you know when say you're doing a day with this particular inquiry you just notice this sense of ownership arising my space you are two inches too close move over (laughs) yeah I'm, I'm laughing but I mean I yeah you know I I definitely experience that (laughs) But it's so it's just so interesting and I, I feel like there's a strange way in which every time you you spot it, every time you name it, every time you notice it, you are, you know, it's like bringing it into consciousness. You are actually, that is a freeing up from it. Yeah, which, which is sort of a bit counterintuitive in a way. Isn't that going to make me more obsessed with me if I'm just going around all day going, I, I, this, me, that, you know. Now I think it begins to bring it into consciousness as a then it can be like an object for mindfulness and investigation. An actual Dhamma, an actual, you know, basis for uh, wisdom. How about that I call I was just this is just always work in progress, isn't it? That I I self as a projection the image oh dear what you want others to see or you're you know frightened they will see I think that's just with us so much of the time the sense of self and other arising together so I'm outside and with a tree no particular sense of, of image. I don't feel the tree is going to judge me or I can just sort of be more quiet and then someone walks by and I'm like, oh, am I looking okay? Person disappears. I'm like, oh, came back to just being with the tree. You know, I don't know if you experience anything like that, but maybe... So again, just as a way of practicing, it's possible, skillful means. 
I love this. This is a quote from Ajahn Buddhadasa. Each day a reasonable number of lives are born and die within each one of us. With training we can observe them, learn to know the causes of suffering and thereby be freed from them. So um, perhaps we can notice that um, maybe this sense of the senses of self or me or mine, can you see them shifting in your life? You know, I I actually sometimes, you know, just reflecting and thinking that actually some of the, some of those senses like I had decades ago don't really rise anymore it's kind of changed different kinds of maybe more subtle or mm, some of those what I think of as bottom drawer things you know that old ancient core early senses of you know me and the world or others you know that kind of come to light through the course of practice and a natural sort of sometimes maybe yeah revelations or shifts insights again and then this gradual there's a gradual process i would i would say i i I maybe through any kind of skillful practice there is there is a sense of um, more ability to be in the flow of life, right? In the flow of life, not so grasping, not so much identified with. Isn't that happening? No, I think sometimes maybe we so much glass half empty. What if we don't? It's like what has already been cultivated. It's really interesting to see. Maybe, maybe it's hard for us to see. Maybe sometimes others see this more clearly in us. Of there is healing, there is release. There's, uh, yeah, um, changes, learnings that kind of just a natural, natural part of of practice and a natural part of life. So I was thinking, I want to, yeah, I think the way that life, I was talking with someone earlier today and talking about how, you know, these life experiences that come upon us, or experiences on retreat, experiences in our life, that just, bam, you know, <laughs> wake up. Um, this illness, death of a loved one, Breaking something, losing something, and um, maybe small in small ways that happens on retreat. When when there's some some something happens where we hadn't realised, but our whole identity as a retreatant depended on having that cushion, that chair, and holy maloli, someone else is sitting on it. And our world sort of just goes, whoa, like, 
or, well, you know what I mean, different responses. So identity gets built up on things, you know. So I think sometimes when those sort of challenges are there, it's such a it's such an invitation to see, ah, <laughs> so I was leaning on this. I didn't realize. Yeah. And um, I want to share with you teaching from Pema Chodron from a book that I, I, I would say I clung to this book for a few years. You know, do, maybe you've had those books in your practice, you carry it around with you everywhere and it just felt like a kind of lifeline for a while. It's from her book, When Things Fall Apart, and it's in the library. So I just want to share this part, part from, from the chapter on When Things Fall Apart. I remember so vividly a day in early spring when my whole reality gave out on me. Although it was before I heard any Buddhist teachings, it was what some would call a genuine spiritual experience. It happened when my husband told me he was having an affair. We lived in northern New Mexico. I was standing in front of our adobe house, drinking a cup of tea. I heard the car drive up and the door bang shut. Then he walked around the corner and without warning he told me he was having an affair and he wanted a divorce. I remember the sky and how huge it was. I remember the sound of the river and the steam rising up from my tea. There was no time, no thought, there was nothing just the light and a profound, limitless stillness. Then I regrouped and picked up a stone and threw it at him. (laughs) When anyone asks me how I got involved in Buddhism, I always say it was because I was so angry with my husband. The truth is that he saved my life. When that marriage fell apart, I tried hard, very, very hard, to go back to some kind of comfort, some kind of security, some kind of familiar resting place. Fortunately for me, I could never pull it off. Instinctively, I knew that annihilation of my old, dependent, clinging self was the only way to go. That's when I pinned a sign up on my wall, life is a good teacher and a good friend. I could spend the rest of the evening reading this to you. I won't. I won't. To you, so. So, many ways of maybe opening the way life opens us to different kinds of, I guess, aspects of the truth and the way things are. Yeah, so um, what, what helps, what supports this? Another maybe way of practicing is, is simply the, the part of the process that is samadhi or samatha, calming. 
you know, that part of our being here. And I, I hear, you know, so many of you, that's what you're really, that, that, that balance between the seeing and the looking and, the, and then the calming, the steadying, and how, how much we have to take care of that. And some degree of steadying and gatheredness being really necessary condition for the kind of seeing that really frees, that is that intimate enough, is, is precise enough. I think this is, this is very important, this like, that the, the mindfulness and the concentration, the samadhi, that that gatheredness, that steadiness, is what allows us to, um, to be close enough to our experience and steady enough with our experience so that it can, it can um, illuminate, right? it can reveal, it can be seen in a way which is freeing. Yeah, so we have to be so patient with that, don't we? And then the, the wonderful way the samatha and the vipassana work together and we have a little insight and then we feel encouraged and that then we can settle a bit more and so the two processes work together sometimes described in the discourses like two oxen pulling a pulling a cart so the mindfulness sometimes now i'm i hope um, it seems to me that the the Anatta wisdom or seeing is embedded in in the Satipatthana Sutta. But it's kind of implied, and it's, so it's maybe in our practice when we we you know I'll just mention this a bit, and then if you're interested, you could inquire a bit more. But so it's parts of the instructions in there where we're asked to. Experience the body in the body. Or mindfulness just to know there is a body. Can, can you hear why I'm picking this up as an anatta? It's like it's kind of just coming into that wisdom, that knowing slightly, sort of without directly naming it, I think. And the not clinging to anything in the world. You know, and clinging is identification, right? It's sort of what it is. It's like that's so to me there it is, the mind the, the owning, the owning and the, and the, the possibility of not owning, not clinging to experience. And you know, I can think of different retreats, maybe you can at times, when you really, this becomes very clear, like very beautifully kind of present, where, again, as I said earlier, that sense of more like things are just happening. Maybe some things catch you and some things, and then, but there's just, you know, and what what that sense of freedom, a sense of just some space, some openness, some 
just being present and, and, and it, it sort of matters less what's going on, isn't it? Again, Joseph, again, doesn't, does not matter to what you do not cling. Yeah. But we don't name that as anatta. So we think maybe we're not doing that, or we don't know that. So again, I think it's very interesting if you just a slight shift of view. Again, you don't have to change your practice, you don't have to change your experience, but sometimes it's just like just put that little lens on and go, oh yeah. Oh, didn't know you were here. Hello. <laughs> it's right here. Just as the other two characteristics are always present. Oh, I have lots more I want to share with you. So let's see. So I just won't read the whole of the Bahia, advice to Bahia, the bark wearer. But I want to, yeah, maybe I do. I'll just go for it. Um, Teaching offered by the Buddha to Bahia, the bark wearer, which is perhaps again giving us another uh, anatta practice, although it doesn't say that, but it is, if you want it to be. So in the scene, there is only the scene. In the heard, there is only the heard. In the sensed, there is only the sensed. In the cognized, there is only the cognized. This Bahya is how you should train yourself. When Bahya, there is for you in the scene, only the scene, in the heard, only the heard. In the sensed, only the sensed. In the cognized, only the cognized. Then, Bahia, there is no you in connection with that. When there is no you there, sorry, I said it wrong. Then by here there is no you in connection with that. There is no you there. When by here there is no you there, then by here you are neither here nor there nor in between the two. This, just this, is the end of Dukkha. Maybe I'll put that on the board. It's one of my favorite teachings. It's going to be a lot on this board. Um, So another way of practicing, I won't say too much about this, but um, again comes from Rob's book, Seeing That Freeze, of just again maybe, again you could really play with this with an area of experience or just through the day, now and then, or you might take a sitting, or again, you know, ignore all this and leave it for future reference, totally fine. Not me, not mine. I was doing the hoovering, or you call it vacuuming, 
earlier. And I was, it was kind of fun. I was like, I was doing the hoovering and, and, and I was just like, oh, hoovering is hoovering. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's quite fun. Hoovering is hoovering. Yeah. So you could play, explore. I also came up with one I liked this week was um, feels like me, but isn't. Um, happening but not to me Um, known but not owned so I think yeah I think anyway never mind I won't yeah moving right along Uh, and then just one more which I've used before which I've quite enjoyed is any me here? <laughs> Sometimes questions, maybe. Yeah. So um, before I just go on to the last thing I want to offer, I just wanted to um, just the, the, the note a, a certain possible danger in, in, in this, maybe not for you, but maybe sometimes that of s- seeing it again as, a, as an ontological position or description of reality you know which is not what the Buddha meant you know and often if people say if people come up to him and say well is there a self or isn't there a self and he just would noble silence <laughs> so we're really invited to take it as a skillful means to practice with it to apply it and see does it reduce dukkha if so great if not do something else <laughs> Well, you know, it's very pragmatic. And also, what has also been striking me, it might be study for a future talk, is how much the Buddha uses the words me, I, we, in the teachings, in in the practice. You know, you do this, you know, I am breathing, um, personally attains Nibbāna, I am the owner of my karma, yeah? So this is really important that we're not... Again, it's about flexibility of view, isn't it? When is it helpful to, 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 be, to be present with you know, ourselves, others? Yes, I think a lot of that is 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 to do with ethics and the Brahma Viharas, this wise way of relating to ourselves, our bodies, other people, the planet. Yeah, because if we take an atas, an ontological philosophical sort of position or description of reality, danger of perhaps aversion, dissociation, indifference. Okay, so um, um, yes. UK, can you take one more bit? <laughs> okay, so I wanted to share one more teaching, which kind of takes us a little bit further into the territory of of uh, 
shunyata, emptiness. Anatta, shunyata, emptiness, emptiness of self, emptiness of uh, any solid, separate, self-existent, self-existing, anything, anywhere. Yeah, that, that area. And the way that the Buddha, again, you can check out in the wonderful blue book, um, the Buddha teaching on the, the five aggregates and descri- describing um, using imagery. Imagery, imagery, incredibly helpful for some of us, maybe really important to, to highlight that as a way of practicing. So he describes, so seeing the body, seeing materiality, the, the seeing the direct experience of the body, right? So this, this is this intimate, intimate um, immediacy of the body as a lump of foam, like a lump of foam floating down the river. So what, so again, a practice sort of possibility is like, what would it be like, would it feel like to see through that lens, to see this experience of embodiment happening, seeing, seeing it as a lump of foam floating down a river. Or a water bubble bursting, arising and bursting on the surface of water when it's raining and big raindrops are falling. Like Vedana, feeling tone. The pleasure in pain. Like water bubbles bursting. perceptions, that sense of things appearing and being recognized as something, a mirage, like a mirage, like a shimmering mirage, or like uh, volitional formations being like a large, uh, the trunk of a banana tree, where you unravel all the layers and there's no core. And so all of the, the mental formations of any kind. Again, there's no core substance. There's no, yeah, it's insubstantial. And the consciousness is a, a magical illusion. Magical illusion. So you just wanted to mention those. You can come back to them if you like. So I'd like to close with, if you can bear it, singing you another little song. You can join in if you like. Well, it's a chant, song, lullaby. I don't know. And um, this one is from my friend Catherine McGee. And it is a version of a slightly different, but it's it's the, Di- the Diamond Sutra, which is a Mahayana text, later tradition of Buddhism. And I want to read you, because what this little chant is just kind of part of what I wrote down. Thus shall ye think of all this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, 
a flickering lamp, a phantom and a dream. So let's see, I'll just... And you can join in if you like, but also feel totally free to just listen. I feel moved to pause and just for myself make an offering any any merit, any benefit from these reflections, these teachings and from our practice and be offered for the benefit of all beings and for Catherine and for all those who are working to embody compassion and wisdom in the world. Okay, see if I can remember this. Oh, you should see this fleeting world. A drop of dew, a bubble on a stream, lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. Oh, you should see this fleeting world. A drop of dew, a bubble on a stream, lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. Oh, you should see this fleeting world, a drop of dew. A bubble on a stream, lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. Oh, you should see this fleeting world, a drop of dew. A bubble on a stream, lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. Oh, you should see this fleeting world, a drop of dew. A bubble on a stream, lightning on a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. Oh, you should see this fleeting world, a drop of dew. A bubble on a stream, 
Lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. Oh, you should see this fleeting world, a drop of dew, a bubble on a stream, lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. Once more. Oh, you should see this fleeting world, a drop of dew, a bubble on a stream, lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. Let's close our time together by sharing the blessings 